Welcome and thank you for choosing this powerful and life-changing message by Chris Vallotton. Join with Chris now as he shares from his heart the Word of God. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing. Just, ah, Lord, I don't know how to say thank you enough. To be able to live in this time in history. <laughs> I don't know, Lord. I just pray we wouldn't lose sight of what, what we have. It's so easy to lose sight of what we have in the, in the favor. And I pray that, that uh, like the sons of Ephraim, unlike the sons of Ephraim, we wouldn't forget your testimonies. So that we continue to win all these battles. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I started a series last week. That um, I felt like, I, I feel it like, I don't know how many, you know, you know how that goes, Bill. I don't know how many weeks we're going to do it, but every time I preach for the next few weeks, unless the Holy Spirit changes it, I feel like there's, a, there's kind of a theme in my heart. And um, I will do um, a little repeat each week because there's a lot of people that, how many of you weren't here this last week? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, a third of the people, so that's what I thought, so. We'll do a little bit of repeat every week just so you can kind of catch, you know, get a feel for what we're doing. Um, and the the uh, theme that I felt like the Lord's put on my heart is called um, at the attributes of royalty. And something's been in our hearts for actually uh, probably several years, but it's really been coming to a head and a focus in the last couple, maybe three years. And um, it, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you're a chosen race a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Everybody say a royal priesthood. A holy nation. Everybody say a holy nation. You're a holy nation. You like that? A people for God's own possession that you may proclaim, you are so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now not only are you a people, but you are the people of God. You once did not receive mercy, but now you've received mercy. I I like this verse for uh, several reasons. Obviously, the exposure to who we are and the angel, what the angel said to to, uh, Denny was kind of amazing. Because right along what what we've been discovering, the Mexican angels are carrying the same same word. So that's good. It's a global word. (laughs) But uh, I like this because he says, you are so that you may proclaim. And I love that because there is a lot of people trying to be a human doing before they're a human being. <laughs> you know, in other words, it's easy in our culture to perform um, because there's a lot of pressure to perform. And oftentimes we, we haven't discovered yet who we are and we end up um, doing, uh, our doing isn't a manifestation of our being oftentimes because we haven't taken the time to actually discover who we are. So I like this because it kind of reinforces that theme in my mind. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness. Um, in Romans 8.20 it says, um, for, uh, for creation was subjected to fertility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from the slavery to corruption. Listen to this. Into the freedom... Of the glory of the children of God. Romans 3, I'm sorry, Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. How many of you know that glory is not a place, it's a condition? Somebody say, somebody, somebody say, well, glory means heaven. Well, there's glory in heaven because wherever Jesus is, there's glory. But glory isn't a place, it's a condition 
it's a, it, is, it is an attribute of the presence, of the very presence of God. And so, um, this morning, one of, the first, uh, one of the things that I, I want to share with you that I shared last week is that when Jesus died on the cross, according to Romans 3.23, He didn't just die for our sins. But it says, Romans 3.23 says, All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory. And so, in other words, what I'm getting at is that when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't just die because we had a problem, because there was a negative, but He died because there wasn't the positive sense nature of His presence in our life. And so, when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't just die so that He would restore our fallenness, but He he died so that the actual glory of God would actually be manifest in each of our life. We were created for the glory of God. And so, and, and I want to say this, that you are royalty. In fact, Paul says to the Corinthians, you are already kings. In Revelation, he says, you are kings and priests. And so this whole theme has been in our hearts. Now, some of you who haven't been here before, or maybe your visitors, um, this bears repeating. Sometimes we think that demeaning ourselves somehow exalts our God. There's this thing in, in religion. Religion has this thing about demeaning humanity in the name of glorifying the Creator. And how many of you know, if there was a beautiful painting on the wall, and you painted that painting, if I came in and said, what an what a ugly painting, what a stupid look of painting, look at those stupid colors. How many of you know that demeaning the painting doesn't glorify the artist? The other thing is, who posed for that painting? Well, the Bible says we were created in God's image and His likeness. Jesus posed for that painting. Hello. When you start, <laughs> did you get that? Jesus was the one who posed for that painting. You were created in His image and His likeness. So not only did He paint you, but He painted you after Him. So when you demean the painting, you aren't glorifying the artist. We've got to get that through our heads because pride, I mean, humility isn't demeaning humanity, but it's exalting God. And there's a great scripture for that in the book of uh, Daniel, just real quickly, where, when Nebuchadnezzar comes back from his great fall, he loses his mind because of his pride. Remember that? He's up on his castle, and he says, man, I'm awesome. Uh, I made these, all this with my own hands. He instantly loses his mind, and for however long, looks like seven years, he's, he's, in, he's, he's grazing grass with the animals, grows his nails long. He goes completely insane. And it, it's an amazing verse when, the, when he... When his sanity returns to him, the very first thing he says in the uh, fourth chapter, this 36th verse, he says, in fact, let me just read it because it's really good. I I know we've done this before, but I feel like this uh, this should be repeated. The very first thing he says when he gets his mind back. At that time, my reason returned to me. My majesty, my splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my... Nobles began to seek me out, so I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. That's after he fell from pride. Listen to the next verse. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true, his ways are just. And listen to this. And he's able to humble those who walk in pride. That's got to be one of the most amazing verses on, on humility in the whole Bible. 
He says, my, my majesty, my splendor, my glory, my kingdom, my counselors, my nobles, and surpassing greatness was added to me. And I say that in complete humility. I love that verse. Because humility isn't demeaning yourself. It's exalting your God. He says, now I praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven. There's something about this. And how many of you know that we invite people into the good news, then we tell them what a piece of junk they are? Now, how many of you know that before we, we, before we found Christ, we definitely were sinners. We are definitely need of some major overhaul. But once we received Christ, we became holy believers, saints, holy believers. You know that holiness isn't a commandment for you to become as much as it is a promise of God's presence in your life. Now on to Him who's able. When we, when we walk with God, holiness is the attribute of His nature in our lives. Somebody got it. The rest of you need a Selah. You need to think about it. <laughs> so, in the, in, the, in the 70s, we learned a very important lesson in our country. We took people, we, there was a program, I don't know how many of you were, some of you young people probably just heard me talk about it, but in our country, in the 70s, we decided that we wouldn't have, we started a program where we would take homeless people and we put them in government housing. And what we learned, a very important lesson, we took we took. We took people, poor people, and we put them in government housing. And over the next five years, they tore those houses down, blew the windows out of them, destroyed their restrooms, destroyed their plumbing, tore the electrical out of them, and they become, in fact, to, to this day, many of them, many of those places, many of those government housing places are the greatest ghettos we have today. What happens when you take a slave? Uh, what happens when you take a slave, and you put him in a palace. I'll tell you what happened. What we learned is, is that people always reduce their external environment down to what they're living in inside. And so you take somebody and you put them in a place of nobility, and if they're not noble, they'll reduce their no, the no, noble place down to their comfort zone, which typically is back to slavery. How many of you know that poor isn't a state of being. Poor isn't a state of, I'm sorry, poor isn't a, st- isn't a commentary on someone's personal finances as much as it is a state of being. Somebody once said, if you took all the money in the world and you spread it out equally to every person in the world, in five years, the people who are rich would be rich again, the people who are poor would be poor again, people who are, who are middle class would be middle class, because oftentimes, oftentimes, the, our environment is oftentimes a manifestation of who we are inside. And so I started thinking about this. If you take a slave, and you, if you take a poor person, it's poor inside. I'm not talking about the poor in spirit that Jesus spoke of, somebody who knows their need. I'm not talking about the positive attribute of somebody who understands that they need God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a poor in spirit person who has a poverty mentality, who, who feels like they need to be punished, and so on and so forth. 
What ha- when you take a poor person and you, and you put them in a, in a good environment, they reduce the environment down to their environment that they're living in inside. What happens when you take a, a noble man and you put him in slavery? I started thinking about this. Like, what happens when you take nobility and you, and you captivate it? I, I, I just had that thought. And, and that, that began me searching for through the book of Daniel and the book of Genesis. And I started thinking about that exact experiment happened in the book of Daniel. In the first chapter of Daniel, it says this in the third verse. It says, Then the king ordered, uh, ordered the chief of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including those of the royal family and, those, and the nobles. And in most cases, when kings would... When they would conquer a country, they would come in and they would take all the royal family and they would kill them. But in this case, Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, let's try something different. Let's take the noble family, let's train them for three years, and let's put them into our service and see what happens. And the most amazing thing happens. They take Daniel, for instance, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They take them, they put Daniel into slavery. But there's an incredible thing that's happening. Because Daniel is a prince inside, he begins to release into his environment favor from God. And his princehood begins to be expressed through his person. This morning I was reading about Joseph. It's an amazing story about Joseph. The same thing. What happens when you take a prince and you put him in slavery? What happens when you, you take somebody who has the kingdom inside of them and you try to enslave the kingdom? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. This morning I was just doing some research in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now remember that his, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, sells Joseph into slavery. They don't like him. Why? Because Joseph has a vision. And he says, I'm going to be awesome and you guys are going to be serving me. And his brothers are like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll see who's going to serve who. And they sell him into slavery. In, in, in Genesis 39, verse 20, it says, So Joseph's master took him, and I'm sorry, uh, 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken into Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him, from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in, his, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So that Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and over all that he owned. And he put it, he put it in his charge. He put in his charge. And it came about from the time he made him overseer of his house and all, all that he owned, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian house on account of Joseph. What happens when you take a prince and you make him a slave? You can't enslave the kingdom. They make Joseph a slave and everything that in Potiphar's house, first thing that happens is he rises up and everything in Potiphar's care, everything that Potiphar owns is Joseph's put in charge of. And then a crazy thing happens and Potiphar's house begins to be blessed. Everything Potiphar has begins to be blessed. And then you know the story, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but Joseph's, uh, Potiphar's wife is less than moral and she wants him to be immoral with him and, and so on and so forth and he refuses. And, so, and then she runs out and says, he raped me, he raped me. And so he goes from, he goes from slavery into prison. 
And what happens when you take a prince and you put him in prison? Look at the 39th chapter, verse 20. So Joseph's master took him and put him in jail. And the place where Joseph's prison... uh, I'm sorry. And the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in jail so that whatever was done, he was responsible for it. And the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord prospered him. He, he's in slavery. And what happens? He becomes the head of all the slaves. He's in prison. He becomes the head of the prison. Verse 41, chapter 41. Joseph goes from the pit of slavery to the prison and then to the palace. And what happens when he gets to the palace? Verse 39. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all all there is and there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see that I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph throughout, though I am... Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt. Although I'm king, you rule. I'll be the smartest man in the world to let you be in charge of everything I own. So you just make me look good. And it says this of Egypt. It says that when Joseph ruled, Egypt was blessed. That it became the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth when Joseph ruled. You know, listen, we are not a product of our environment. Let me put it differently because I've said that a few times, but I see it differently now. We are not a product of our external environment. We are a product of the internal environment that we have to cultivate inside of ourselves, the kingdom. And that whatever you're cultivating inside... Whether it's, if it's, if it's slavery and they put you in a palace, you'll destroy the palace. But if it's, if it's a princehood and princesshood, if you're, if you've got the kingdom of God going on inside of you, it will find a way to express itself in a way that people go, I don't know what's going on with that guy, but I want him in charge of my stuff. And someone probably said, hey, uh, Potiphar, do you know, uh, hello, that guy's a slave. Well, I don't know about his slavery. All I know is every time I put him over something, it gets blessed. Every time he's watching over my sheep, they give birth to twins. Every time that guy does anything, it's blessed. And then, can you imagine, they take him and they put him in prison. I mean, he's in prison for raping the, you know, the, the, the chief official's wife. That's a pretty serious crime. But it says the favor of the Lord was on him. And the jailer said, you watch over the jail, I'll see you later. I'm going to the football game, just make sure you lock up before you go to bed. I mean, there's something about the kingdom that people see inside of us. And they say, I don't know what's inside. I don't, I can't, I don't understand why you raped that woman. But I got to tell you something, there's favor on you. I don't even think I believe that report. There's got, you got too much stuff going for you. There's a few things that, that I, I, I'm learning through studying the lives of princes. I felt like the Lord told me about three weeks ago, I, said, I, I felt like the Lord said to me, I want you to study the lives of no, nobility. 
Because I want to release nobility in your life, in the life of my people. See, if we're called a royal priesthood, then we ought to start acting like it. I'm not talking about arrogance. You understand? Sometimes when we hear those people, oh man, we're going to walk around, oh, I'm a king's kid, look out, you know, I should have the best. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about understanding your royalty because your dad's the king. You didn't do anything to deserve this. You got born into the king's house. The struggle is, is that if you don't know you're a king's kid, you're supposed to be acting like a prince, making sure the poor are taken care of, making sure that people are blessed through the kingdom. And instead, if you have a slave's mentality, you're not benefiting the earth with with the power, the presence, and the prosperity of the kingdom. I, I learned a few things um, about uh, princes. One is, um, let's see if I can, I want to shorten this up. They know how to be in a culture without the culture being in them. And they know how to be affected by hurting people without being infected by them. Now, there's a, do you know what I mean by that? It's like, it's one thing to hold yourself aloof from people who are hurting or people who are wicked. It's like, well, I stay, I stay holy by not being a part of what they're doing. And, and, and there's, there's a certain kind of distance that we put, or people are hurting, we're like, yeah, yeah, Johnny, you know, be safe, be, and here's some money. It's, it's it, it, I don't know, this is probably, it's sometimes easy to give money and not give your heart. How many of you have ever done that? I've done it. It's like, it's like, it kind of soothes your conscience. And it kind of, it kind of keeps you from having to feel the pain of the person's problem. But one thing I noticed about nobles is that Joseph and Daniel, for instance, and we're going to talk about Esther in the weeks to come, they connected with the king's problem in a way that, it, in fact, D- Daniel says things like, I was troubled all night. What was he troubled about? About the negative word he has for the king, who is evil. But he connects with him in a way that says, this is going to hurt, and it's hurting me as bad as it's hurting you. There's something about feeling compassion for people and still not being polluted by their stuff. I I said this last week, but there there is an amazing ability with princes to keep their core values intact, even their opposing core values. What I mean like what I mean is is that if you could picture a box that I know that we're always talking about living outside the box, but if you could picture the box for a second like like the Ark of the Covenant, like a good thing for a minute. And we got a problem with someone, like we're gonna bring correction to him, let's say. Okay, so we, we know we gotta bring correction to this person. But if this box, if the four walls of this box If we could see that the four walls of this box would be honor, mercy, nobility, honesty, you got me? Integrity. It's like, I'm going to bring correction, but it's got to be inside the box of my core values. So that I'm not going to, yeah, yeah, and then say, well, that's your fault. You made me mad. Nobles don't break their core values to 
have to bring adjustment to someone's life. Here's some. How about, how about opposing core values? How about honor? Okay, I got honor as a core value. See, core value isn't just... See, there's a difference between a core value and a high value. For instance, I can have a high value for comfort. Like, I, I like to be comfortable. But if it's my core value, if it's the way I see life, I will sacrifice things to get what isn't, shouldn't be the core of why I'm alive. Are you following me? Uh, in other words, okay, here's, here, let me give you another one. I'll go back to that point in just a second. Uh, but I, I th- feel like I should drop back and just explain something. Jesus said that one of our core values shouldn't be life in the sense of, he said, he that saves his life will lose it. So it shouldn't be survival. Let me say it differently. Jesus said that one of our core values shouldn't be survival. It can be a high value. Like, I want to make sure I stay healthy. I like to work out. I want to live a long life. But if it's my core value, then there'll be times like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when I have to decide whether my high value is my core value. Do you see? See, You see, he goes, if you don't bow down, I'm going to kill you. Well, if, if survival is my core value, and not just a value, you know, like, I'd like to stay alive, but if it's my core value, then it affects the way I see, then I'm willing to sacrifice other things so that I can keep my core value. And I'm like, what's a little lie? What's a little bowed knee? And nobles know how to keep their core values when it costs them. And I've noticed one thing that all the, all the nobles that I've been studying have in common. Survival is not a core value for any noble. Now, that's huge right there. I feel like that could be a sermon. There's something about making survival a core value instead of a high value that causes us to compromise much of our life. Daniel, there are values. I started to to say this about core values. It's amazing that Daniel has core values that are in conflict and he asks for wisdom on how to apply them. For instance, he has nobility as a core value. Like he's going to be noble no matter how he's treated. Selah. I want you to think about that. Because because in our culture, it's common to blame other people for our behavior or our attitude. He's going to be noble, don't matter what the environment dictates. It's like, no, i got another environment going on here. So you can treat me like a slave, but I know I'm a prince. Jesus said it a little differently. He said, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, give me your left cheek also. I don't think Jesus was saying, well, just let people beat you up. Because if he said that, I don't know what he was doing with the whip. I think he was saying, don't let someone's actions be your reaction. Be in control of yourself. If someone slaps me and my automatic reaction is to slap him back, then who can, who's controlling who? I'm being controlled externally, that internally. But Daniel has nobility as a core value. And honor and dignity as a core value, right? And yet he's working for a wicked king. Now, how do you reconcile correcting a wicked king? When God says, gives you a vision, says, I'm going to make that guy, I'm going to cut him down like a tree, and he's going to be crazy for seven years. And you're sitting here, and you're like, you're thinking, yeah, well, I can understand why God would do that. I mean, look what he's doing. And yet Daniel comes to him, and he says to this, the king, he, the king sees that Daniel's got the interpretation, and his face is distressed. And the king says, Daniel... Just give it to me straight, boy. 
And Daniel says, oh, king, that this was, I would that this was about someone else, about your enemies and not about you. Daniel, wait a second, you're prophesying to a wicked guy. And yet he's able to keep, listen to this, nobility and honor and still bring correction. Do you, do you see that? Do you see he's got, he's, got, he's got purity and integrity as a core value. He says, I won't eat the king's food. Actually, he doesn't really say it that way if you think about it. He says he sought permission to not eat the king's food. That's a big difference. You're not going to tell me what to do. He, he seeks permission for the king, from the king to keep his covenant with his God. He honors the king. In other words, it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to honor someone who is still wicked in a way that doesn't defile you. You know, one of the most amazing stories to me is Jesus. Here's a sinless guy. He, he, he's never done anything wrong, never will do anything wrong. He's the picture of purity. He, he's, he's walking holiness, and glory follows him. And who likes to hang out with him? Sinners. Now, think about it. When you, when you act righteous, do wicked people want to hang out with you? Not unless you understand how to keep your core values in a way that... You keep them intact without requiring other people to keep them intact and still bring what you have inside to them. How does a man who's got so much purity that he won't eat food that isn't even wrong in the Old Testament, how does he keep his dignity and his integrity and still have a love for a guy who's totally the opposite value system? And then continue to say to him, I wish this was about your enemies. Not a, How do you love somebody who is totally opposed to everything you stand for? A lot of us have trouble loving the Democrats. <laughs> if you're a Republican. I mean, it's like, we, it's like anything they have to say, as, long, as soon as they tell us, Democrat, we, he's bad. When we get a president who's Democrat, he can't do anything right. Think about what I'm saying. We have a weird perspective. If somebody, if we associate people with the word and we, they no longer have any input into our life, nor do we value them. And yet here's a man who has complete integrity and he says, I have incredible value for you, even though everything you seem to stand for is the opposite of what I believe in. And you know what? I want to say this. Value is influence. You will never influence someone who has no value for you. You sit next to a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness and you start arguing with them about their doctrine. They're not going to listen to you. <laughs> Experience. I know this. See that revelation up right there? A lot of hours sitting with those guys and absolutely change nobody. You are not, the only way you're going to change them is if God gives you favor with them and you have influence with them when they value you. And when you begin by destroying any, you're not looking for a place where you can agree. You're, you are making sure that you bring, there's like, it's almost, it's almost like I feel, I feel like I have to, because you just said you're this, I feel like I have to fight you. 
instead of find some place where I can actually benefit? Let, is there a crack where the kingdom can get in? Yeah, the last thing I want to say um, for this morning that I noticed that all royalty has, and that's a sense of destiny. There's a sense of destiny. I, I've never known a prince without a sense of destiny. I've never, I've, I've never, I've never looked, never read about a prince or a princess who didn't have a sense of destiny. Lord, we just pray right now. There, there are things that were said this morning, God, that I don't, I don't understand them, but I see them. But I don't know how they work. But I pray that the kingdom that's within us, we begin to work its way through us. And that we would become a royal priesthood. It wouldn't just be heaven's faith confession about us. But literally, we would become a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Because nations disciple nations. And you said, disciple the nations. And Lord, I pray that we as princes and princesses would begin to learn how to relate to kings. In a way that we could bring the royal kingdom into places that would never receive it. And then eventually, those places, the kingdom of this world, would become the kingdom of our God. Lord, teach us how to impact the kings of this world. Teach us how to impact the pharaohs and the Nebuchadnezzars and, and, the, and the kings of this world. Teach us how to relate in a way where we don't, where we don't compromise our values, and yet we still are valuable to the people who hold to a different standard. Teach us how to do that. God, give us the favor of God that causes people, causes people's, the walls that people see around us to be invisible so that they embrace the God of heaven and have the impact of the kingdom even though they don't understand our values. I pray for that in the name of Jesus and help us to not love our life onto death. Help us not hold on to survival as, as, as the chief value of our life, but help us to lay down our life so that others could live. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes this message. For more information on the ministry of Chris Vallotton, please contact us at Bethel Church, 933 College View Drive, Redding, California, 96003. Or you can phone us at area code 530-246-6000. You can also visit us online at www.ibethel.org. We pray this message will continue to bless and encourage your walk with God, and may the joy of the Lord be your strength.